0: We are delighted to be joined by the brilliant Tim Jallies. Hello and welcome to Exposit the Word, Tim. Hello, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So you're here to talk about your fantastic new book and documentary series, Epic. But before we talk about that, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. I am uh, a blogger, author in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, or just outside Toronto. In Ontario, Canada. I am a husband to Aileen. We've been married for 22 or so years yeah. and father to three children who are currently 13, 17 and 20 years old.
0: Which one of your sons is the uh, coffee connoisseur that you mention quite a lot in the series? <laughs>
1: That's Nick. He's the eldest. He's 20 years old. He's a student at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary currently, though uh, of course under the current conditions he is back home and finishing out his uh his year he's in second year there yeah finishing out his year at home
0: okay sure so when did you first become a Christian Tim and also when did you start blogging
1: sure yeah so I was raised in a Christian home my parents were saved as college students and uh, saved by Pentecostals and saved into Pentecostalism and on their honeymoon they decided to go to Switzerland and bumped into a guy there named Francis Schaefer and. Uh, ended up actually spending a year with uh, at, at Labrie yeah. and um, came back thoroughly Reformed in their theology. So I was yeah. raised in the uh, Presbyterian and or Dutch Reformed streams, and somewhere in there just being raised in a Christian home by Christians, I became a believer. I don't have a firm date or time, um, but uh, my mom would say it was probably when I was around six. Yeah. I would say it was more when I was a young teenager, so who really knows, Yeah, um, but the Lord did save me. And I started blogging um, shortly after I got married. I got married in 1998. My parents moved to the States with my three sisters and brother around the year 2000. And I started blogging in 2001 sort of as a... Our reaction to them being gone, just wanting to be able to share some things that were going on in my life. Blogs were new. There was no Facebook yet. And so uh, it was social media. And so that was how I socialized with my family by blog, hence com.
0: Yeah. Can and you, that just
1: kind of grew out from there.
0: Can you remember the first blog that you posted that you thought, oh, wow, this is, you know, you've really got an audience now? Can you remember the first one?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, it would probably be when I started doing reviews of The Purpose Driven Life. Um, Sorry, that's my uh, smoke detector doing its monthly self test. Oh, um, yeah. I think it was probably around um, when I started doing a review of the purpose-driven life. At that point, I was at a Southern Baptist church. The Southern Baptist had sort of made a move into Canada. I had joined one of those churches, and uh, they were going through the purpose-driven life. And I was really uncomfortable with purpose-driven life, and um, I didn't really know why. So I just started analyzing it day by day through my blog. And it turns out at that time, people all around the world were going through purpose-driven life and going on this new thing called the Internet and starting to uh, see what they could learn about it and maybe why they were feeling a little uncomfortable with it. And so I think as I sort of blogged my way through that, uh, that's where I started realizing, oh, now there's like 20 people a day reading the site and then a couple hundred people a day yeah. reading the site and yeah. just kind of grew up from there.
0: Yeah, so interesting. So tell us about this new series Ventim Tim, Epic, and also how did you come up with the idea? Sure, yeah. So uh, Epic is a journey around the world,
1: also a journey through Christian history. So it's two, two different things. It's a church history book, yeah. but it's also a world travel book. And uh, so a few years ago, I had the idea of trying to tell Christian history through objects. So what are objects that tell a story beyond themselves or objects that are still in existence? You can see them in a museum, something like that. But they they were particularly important Hmm. in Christian history. And so I did some writing on that, kind of did a little blog series on it and, and enjoyed it. But. Something was missing, and I came to realize that something was actually going, actually seeing these things, actually exploring the world to look for them. And uh, so I had that idea and mapped it out and um, realized this would be far beyond my means to actually be able to do it. but after I had actually the day after I had finished mapping it out and kind of just put my hands up in surrender uh, somebody got in touch with me and said he was he represented a group of businessmen and they were wondering if there's ever a project I'd come up with where money was the thing that was holding me back from doing it wow. and so I told them about the project and they chose to fund it and off I went so <laughs> it worked out really well wow. and uh, yeah I think it turned out really neat I was really excited to do it and really excited with the finished product
0: yeah when did you actually finish it Tim?
1: Oh, I think it was early, uh, late 2019. So it was almost two years from the first trip, which I ended up having to repeat. I actually had to repeat the first two trips. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I think by the end it was, yeah, late 2019. So almost two years.
0: So you travelled over 180,000 miles, 24 countries, countless McDonald's and one broken arm. <laughs> Tell us about some of your favourite memories.
1: Yeah, yeah, well... Um... One of my favorite memories is meeting Stephen McCaskill, who is the filmmaker who went with me. I met him in the airport on the way to our first trip together after we had agreed to do this whole thing. So, um, walked into an airport lounge and there he was and met him and we had already agreed we were going to travel the world. So I was just really hoping he and I would get along well (laughs) and, uh, be compatible and it worked out great. We became very good friends and are still in touch on a daily basis. So that was a joy. Um, Beyond that, I mean, there are so many good memories. There there was um, – I always think of the south of India going all the way down to Donavar Fellowship, which is the ministry that Amy Carmichael founded. Yeah. And walking into this ministry having no idea what to expect. You don't really see pictures of it, and people don't go there. But walking into this mammoth – compound full of hospitals and orphanages and homes and all of this, and just realizing the sheer scope of what she had built, and then talking to one of the gentlemen in charge there and uh, him just talking about the need for theological education, the, uh, his his concern about some of the poor theology, prosperity theology, and other things filtering across India. And it was just a, a real affirmation that this ministry founded so long ago is still pressing on still doing the good work of the gospel and um even there meeting this woman who uh, was elderly now but as an infant had been brought to this orphanage where she Mm -hmm. was received by amy carmichael who took her in her arms and prayed for her and gave her her name it was an amazing link between today and history
0: it made me smile. I can't remember where it, where it was that you you went into a McDonald's and you said that one of your intentions was to have McDonald's in every city that you went. It is so something that I would have done. And I'm so interested as well, Tim. Where Where is the best McDonald's in the world? yeah that's a great question so
1: we went to 24 different countries i believe yeah and i think there were McDonald's. we went to mcdonald's in every country where there was a mcdonald's so yeah. there's no mcdonald's in zambia yeah. so we couldn't go there uh for example but we did go to mcdonald's in every country we could find it there are various reasons for that but mostly it was just we did that in the first couple of countries and realized why don't we just keep going why don't we just keep trying yeah. Yeah. and try what their special thing is so The best thing I had all year was a breakfast sandwich in Ecuador. I don't remember what it was called, but it was really, really good. Now, I'm biased toward McDonald's breakfast. I don't even like McDonald's that much. It just became a thing. (laughs) I'm biased toward their breakfast, but that was fantastic. And the worst was either India's Maharaja Mac, granting I had it at about 4 in the morning, or... the uh, Mega Mac America Burger in Jerusalem, which was horrendous. Oh, I
0: think that's the one that you showed on the um on the documentary, if I remember yeah. right. Yeah. The timing of this documentary release is absolutely perfect. Pretty much the whole world is on lockdown at the moment, but through this documentary, <laughs> I'm I'm not sure if it's because of how you filmed it, Tim, but after each episode, you feel like you've actually been out on a day trip. How's it been received so far?
1: Yeah, I think it's been received well, and I think it's partly circumstantial in that everybody is feeling housebound, and now here's uh, here's somebody traveling, and I think we found an interesting balance, I hope, between making a travel documentary and making a historical documentary, so there may be people who are expecting that what they're going to watch is a guy in a museum standing next to an object and talking about it, but it's far more free-flowing than that, it's just kind of random kind of disconnected just kind of going with me as i search the world so it's got some quirky moments like right to the
0: er with me and a broken arm um, all the way to actually being inside museums and standing
1: beside objects so uh, i think it's a very good complementary product to the book the book focuses in on the objects we found and their stories while the documentary focuses more on just the search the, the fun the chaos and the uh, international component of searching around the world for all these things. Yeah.
0: Tell us about how you broke your arm.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I love photography and uh, I'm, wherever i can go and this was part of the joy of this journey is being able to take landscape uh, photographs all around the world and i went to ireland we were on the coast of ireland and uh just kind of got a little careless jumping from one rock to another and those rocks were a little more slippery than i would have thought and my footing was a little uh, less than i would have thought and so i went over and heard a strange crunch and uh yeah so anyways, got to check out Belfast's emergency room yeah. and got in and out really surprisingly quick. And uh, it was a minorly broken arm, so it was okay. But one thing you don't see in the video is that that same evening I had a, a meeting around. A question and answer session at a local christian bookstore so i shook hands with a broken arm Uh, well it's about 150 people so if you watch that video you can see me grimacing with each (laughs) handshake.
0: yeah well to be up to begin with you didn't actually think it was broken you was told um it wasn't broken and then you got a phone call a couple of days later is that right
1: Yeah, exactly. So the ER doctor took a look at the x-ray and said, no, I think it's fine, but I'll send it on to a radiologist for his perspective. Yeah. And then the radiologist took a look at it two days later or three days later, just as I was... I think i just gotten home or was just heading home. And they called and said, actually, you should probably go get that looked at.
0: Yeah, wow. How hard was it to edit all the content you had and how much gold ended up on the editing floor?
1: Oh, so much. So Stephen McCaskill who travelled with me. He shot the film and he produced the film. He did all of that. But yeah, I think probably we got the the film would reflect maybe five to ten percent of the total footage we took hours and hours and a lot of it is um just retakes or just boring stuff but uh yeah i think he had to trim it down massively and and leave a lot that that would have been quite interesting on its own especially a lot of interviews and background material
0: in the um, documentary you mentioned that you had to go back to rome twice Uh, why was the first trip unsuccessful tim (laughs)
1: <laughs> the first trip was unsuccessful because as one of my uh, friends in Rome said, well, that's Rome for you. <laughs> Which is to say that on the day I went there, two of the three places I wanted to see were randomly closed and no reason given, no explanation whatsoever. They yeah. just were closed. Yeah. And so, um, as it turns out, I had to go back anyways because I went the first time before we started making a film project out of it. So it was just me alone in Rome. Yeah. Um, the, we eventually would have had to go back anyways to film it um, but yeah it was just things were closed for no reason.
0: Did you get any opposition in any of the places that you went?
1: We had the easiest time of it so I broke my arm a minor break that was the worst thing that happened all year which is really not that big of a deal yeah um, we never had any trouble you know a couple of museum curators were maybe not the least bit interested in having us in one or two or kind of mean about it um i I totally understand why you wouldn't want us to film in your museum that's fine but you don't have to be mean about it um but other than that no we did so well and i think in all the borders we crossed and everything else and going into all these countries i don't think i got more than like 12 or 15 questions all year but often i would walk up to the border they would take my passport they would stamp it and hand it to me without even asking why i was there which was Remarkable. Not that I was doing anything bad, not that I had anything bad. Yeah, yeah But it was so, so simple.
0: Wow. Were there any objects that you stumbled on by accident?
1: Yeah, there were a few. The, my favorite was William uh, sorry, Andrew Fuller's snuff box. For me, that was yeah uh, I described that in the book. It shows up in the film as well. Such a quirky little object that in its own way is key to the history of the worldwide modern missions movement, and yet it's a snuff box, And snuff being an form of tobacco that you would snuff up your nose rather than smoke um so it was just one i had heard i knew the object had been used in days past but i didn't know that it still existed in fact i'd been told it did not and i tracked that down Um, another one would be in zambia david livingston Museum there, yeah. found some neat objects there. We knew there was a museum, but uh, just didn't have a website. There wasn't a good description of what was inside. But finding the traveling box he carried with him, and you could see on the top of the box little mounds of wax. So this is the box he would travel from place to place. He would set up the box at night, put a candle on it, and that's where he would write his journals, his journals, which were turned into books, which gave him worldwide notoriety and helped yeah. him in carrying out his his work his ministry so yeah there, there were lots of neat little moments like that
0: wow did you go anywhere that you were keen to go back with a family
1: oh yeah absolutely so through all the travel i accumulated as you can imagine a whole lot of travel miles yeah, yeah um and a whole lot of hotel points so we cashed those in last summer and went as a family to europe and retraced the the route through parts of germany and switzerland and austria so that was an absolute joy um I would gladly go back to many of those places. Ecuador, I'd love to go back to, um, and Australia, New Zealand, I'd go there anytime anyways. So yeah, um, yeah. there's lots of places I would gladly go back.
0: That's so good. Did anywhere or any of the objects that you were looking forward to see and not live up to ex- expectations?
1: Oh, probably, yeah. There were some I couldn't find, so there were some I, I really wanted to track down. Or I went to um, the Israel Museum and really just didn't find anything. I was looking for objects related to the Crusades, and I just couldn't find anything that was interesting. Little bits of broken pottery aren't going to tell much of a story. So yeah. um, there was that. And then the whole early church as well. I really went looking for objects that would tell the story of the early church between um, you know, the, the founding of the church and really into the Middle Ages. And there's very little there as well. So. That was a little bit of a, of a
0: disappointment, yeah. Yeah, sure. You mentioned at the uh, start of the interview that your mum and dad um, were first Christians within the Pentecostal denomination. One, in one of the episodes, you spent some time looking back at the history of a Pentecostal church. What did you find out, Tim?
1: Yeah, so we went to California. and Okay, so in this worldwide journey, we wanted to focus on Christianity, Christianity, um, I guess you could say Protestantism, you could say evangelicalism, something like that as we start to narrow the categories. And I didn't think I could tell the story of um, Protestantism or Christianity um, from the early days till now without getting into some things that I don't myself adhere to, like prosperity gospel, which would be um, a uh, non-biblical, really a heresy or something close to it. and even things like Pentecostalism, where I can appreciate Pentecostals as believers, um, and yet cannot be part of that tradition and disagree to some of the theology. But I did need to track down Pentecostalism because so many Christians have been influenced by it. True believers yeah. are either Pentecostal or hold the Pentecostal theology. So we went to California, where the Zeusa Street Revival took place and found Bonnie Bray House there, which is where the whole revival broke out at that house. And so... Um, It's important to remember historically that Pentecostalism, though we take it for granted today, did not exist until the early 1900s. So it's very, very new to the scene in Christianity, and yet it very, very quickly swept over the entire world so that today probably the majority of people on earth who call themselves Christians would have been directly impacted by some of the theology of early Pentecostals.
0: Yeah. What happened to give birth to the prosperity gospel out of that denomination, Tim?
1: yeah well it uh it quickly got twisted so the the original pentecostals they they were looking for this i guess deeper experience of this new testament experience of christianity they're looking back at the book of acts and seeing well if they were speaking in tongues if they were doing these things why shouldn't we and so you can see at least through my eyes as you look back at it now you can see them trying to force this thing trying to, to to find um tongues where there were no tongues and um But even then, their theology was maybe not so bad in that they believed that tongues, as described in the New Testament, were actual human languages. And so the early Pentecostals, some of them were missionaries who were convinced that they were speaking Chinese, they were speaking some Indian language, and they would go around the world taking this language, thinking they could now communicate. It was only later, as they realized these aren't real languages, that they started to develop the 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 theology that these are uh, angelic languages or private prayer languages and so on. But Mm -hmm. um, out of Pentecostalism eventually grew the prosperity movement. And uh, I guess it was just tied into – yeah it was tied into it some misunderstandings of scripture and some as people would say over-realized eschatology and so on and it really grew up in Tulsa under Oral Roberts there we went to ORU and uh, explored that a little bit.
0: Why is the prosperity gospel so dangerous?
1: Well it promises things in this earth on this earth that uh, a are less important things than salvation by grace through faith in christ jesus things that are less important than the promises god makes to us yeah. um and it 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 buries christians in this desire to have physical financial um, and health prosperity here on this earth and yeah. so it offers people something they desire you don't have to be a christian to desire those things in yeah. fact the um many christians or many non-Christians really have a deep longing for these things. and So it takes advantage of human ignoble human desires or even human greed and promises you can have those things through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so it, it takes advantage of unsanctified desires. And promises them as proof of Christianity, and of course, in the prosperity gospel, as as we've seen, it really is almost like a Ponzi scheme in which mm. only the people at the top truly prosper, and they prosper off the backs of the people down below them. So yeah. um, it's 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 simply not sound theology. It's a, it's unbiblical theology, and it's very very dangerous.
0: Tim, you've you're you're somebody that reads a lot of books, especially for a living as well, and you blog about them in your reviews. What's your best ever book that you've read? What's your favorite book? I would usually go back to the
1: Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul, and I don't really know how to say the best book, yeah. um, how to define that, you know. But the one that changed my life—I'll um, often see people they'll. they'll finish the book and two days later write a review and say this book changed my life and I would say maybe you know like give it some time and see you don't really know that right right away but something like the holiness of God I can say that over the years it's shown to me that it really did change my life it shifted my view of God Um, it, it sharpened my view of God made it far more accurate and also sharpened my view of myself uh, made my self-understanding far more accurate and allowed me to see the great chasm the infinite chasm between myself and god um so i think that's one that uh, i recommend to everyone i recommend widely one i reread and one that uh i'll never uh yeah i'll never not be indebted to
0: yeah and what's the most dangerous book you've read (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. Um,
1: I've read some really miserable books over the years. It's been part of what I've done through the blog over the years is try to focus in on some of the books that are unhelpful or even downright dangerous. So, um, I don't know. I could probably point in any number of directions, but I think it, some of the, the worst books I've read would be things like The Shack, or even the whole heaven tourism genre, or mm-hmm. Jesus Calling by yeah. Sarah Young, and in each one of these books, in one way or another, they're just pointing people away from the sufficiency of Scripture, the sufficiency mm-hmm. of God's revelation to us in the Bible, yeah. and somehow they're, they're, they're tampering with that. And as soon as you you drop people away from the Bible, you're in, well, you're into dangerous territory, aren't you? Yeah.
0: As Christians, we love to hear about all of the history. But if we had someone listening right now who isn't a Christian, how would you encourage them to follow Jesus?
1: Yeah, well, I think this this, um, little bit of period, this little period of time we're going through right now, uh, where we're dealing with this coronavirus, it... um, Maybe just lets us know in a new way what we've known all along, which are we're really weak people, we're really small people. Um, all of human, all of human society, the whole world has been put on hold due to a microscopic virus. Yet we think we're good. We think we're strong. We think we're powerful. here we are. The whole world has stopped because of this thing. So I would encourage people just to admit your own weakness, admit your own smallness, um, admit your own frailty. And once you can do that, once you can see how little and small and frail you are, then uh, think you're in a good position. God, uh, gives grace to those who are humble. So if you humble yourself, uh, realizing how small and weak you are, then go looking for the one who is uh, who's big and strong and powerful. And uh, look in the Bible, which is his revelation of himself. And I think you'll find him there.
0: That's an excellent place to finish, Tim. Thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed speaking to you.
1: Yeah, likewise. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Tim.